This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 295, How to Prepare Your Family for an Inheritance. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Wait a minute, you didn't know we had a YouTube channel? That's right, we put content that we don't put anywhere else on YouTube, and you need to see it to believe it. So be sure to follow, like, and subscribe our channel so you won't miss a thing. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode. Hey, what do you say to someone? when you know it's going to be the last time you might ever speak to them. Kind of a stark conversation. Have you ever been in that situation? You know, maybe you're saying goodbye to a loved one at the hospital. Maybe you're giving someone like a close friend a last loving goodbye. How do you stumble through that conversation in a way that's loving or honoring? What do you talk about? What do you say? What do you leave unsaid? According to nurses, people often speak about or two loved ones. Uh, they confess their greatest regrets or fears. They offer profound insight or share something that somehow bears their reality in their final moments. One of the most important issues on many people's minds as they approach their final hours on this earth is the issue of taking good care of those they're going to be leaving behind. For many people, what they want is to make sure that they don't leave behind a big mess, that their family would be maybe better off now that you, they've moved on. But unfortunately, I've met too many families who were devastated because of a breadwinner was just not prepared, did not prepare his family for the time when he might not be there to provide. So we talk a lot about life insurance on this podcast, and we typically talk about the cash value portion of the insurance contract. But I want to spend some time today talking about how to prepare your family for the death benefit. I mean, that money generally is not going to be seen by you or spent by you, at least on this side of heaven. But I've seen it happen countless times with clients who have unfortunately passed away, including my own mother, who passed away in 2017. We spend years and even decades preparing the money for our family. So let's make sure we prepare our family for the money. Once upon a time, not too long ago, the family business was used to teach the skills, give the family not just a bunch of money or business, but really a successful life. Transferring wealth included equity, assets, but also wisdom, too. The grandparents would leave the family farm to the adult children, and the adult children would train the young children all the skills necessary that they had learned from the grandparents to run that farm successfully. I believe that assets plus skills is what equals real wealth. Not just a bunch of money on a balance sheet, but the skills and the principles and the proverbs and the wisdom and the memories and everything else that comes with real wealth. So true wealth is what can be perpetuated for generations. But unfortunately, a lot has changed since the days of the family farm or the family business. Many families still try to pass on family wealth, but they forget that Wisdom is a part of the passing on, the mindset, the skill set that's needed to generate generational wealth. 
So I'm not advocating all of us quit our day jobs and set up a family farm on our suburban plot of land. Nope, not looking to do that. Rather than focusing on a particular family business, family money can be used to help family members in their life together, their education, their buying a home, launching a career, a business, mentoring the next generation in the skills of the world. Uh, this allows for location independence, different skill sets and businesses and career paths. You know, if one family has a farm and they pass it on to the kid who wants to be an artist, he's going to have to put down that paintbrush and pick up a pitchfork uh, and start learning how to bale hay. But if we have a more modern view of family wealth, the career matters less, the business matters less, the family is what's mattered more in this case. So a parent might be an accountant who can help a child to become a successful doctor or musician. So rather than leaving a farm or a business, leaving a family fund can be a much more mobile and valuable asset. So this family fund idea is something that we've been really chewing on here at Lake Growth Financial Services and on our podcast too. So you're going to be hearing me talk some about this family reserve or this family fund. So creating a family reserve using a bank-on-yourself type dividend-paying whole life insurance policy gives us several advantages over traditional family business funds or even the more modern experience of just leaving folks a pile of money in a couple of brokerage accounts and savings accounts. Here's a few ways that using bank-on-yourself as our family fund uh, can help our family. First, it creates a long-term, safe, and sure wealth bucket. So if we put money into dividend-paying whole life insurance, it's going to be there all along the way. Second, it instantly creates a legacy on day one, but it also creates a savings strategy should you live for decades to come, which is the big plan, right? So we want to help you, one, create a legacy for your kids and grandkids, but we also want to have a fund that can build and sustain itself and weather itself through any market condition. So this will help you and even your whole family go through tough economic storms that every family goes through from time to time. Third, it creates a long-term thinking and more durable view of wealth. More than just, hey, leave your kids a little bit of cash and watch them blow it from the clouds on their sports cars and country clubs and things that you didn't get to spend the money on. No, we want a more durable view of wealth. Fourth, it helps the family think as a family unit rather than just autonomized individuals. Fifth, a family fund generates financially responsible children and adults rather than just entitled and spoiled brats. So we're not just leaving a big pile of money to the kids here. When you're creating generational wealth, you're teaching the skill sets of a prudent investor and a family that knows your true value, not just the value of money, but the family's value for all of life. Number six, reason why a family fund can help and why Bank on Yourself can help that family fund get established. Number six, you create a mission for your family that's really bigger than individual happiness. Where is it written that individual happiness should be the goal or plan for anyone's life? You know, instant gratification is the result of pursuing instant happiness. But family reserves through your bank on yourself type policies help create opportunities for your family members to succeed today, but also creates an entire family fund that's really a legacy for both your family and also charitable giving strategies that can impact the world over many generations. 
So I would much prefer that for my family legacy than just watching the kids blow it on, you know, a uh, Saturday evening car that they'd like to buy one afternoon after I croak. So it should be noted that the first thing to do in creating and establishing a family fund is to do so by sitting down and talking both with your spouse and adult children about what your goals are, what you're trying to accomplish, and also what you'd like to leave your family should you pass away. This means sitting down maybe one-on-one also with a bank-on-yourself professional who understands the importance of family financing. See, your family is your greatest asset, and you should understand that each member of your family is an incredible asset to you and to each other, just as you are a great gift to your whole family. So why should we shun our family, which is our greatest asset, in favor of pursuing a government asset like a 401k and IRA. We talked in the last episode about how plans like 401ks and IRAs sabotage wealth. So I won't go over that again, but go back and listen to the last episode if you missed it. The main thing to remember is that when you sit down with a competent bank on yourself professional who can really help you think holistically about your financial life and your bank on yourself policies in a very particular way, amazing things begin to happen. Beyond that, our design uh, of the policies will include the big picture strategy, an overview of your family and the family fund in particular. Will it be one policy built around one grandparent? Will it be multiple policies around the adult children and grandchildren? How will these policies be funded? How should we design the policy for cash value? Or maybe we should lean heavier on a larger death benefit for a bigger legacy for your kids and grandkids. Maybe there's a combination of of both cash value and death benefits. And by the way, we set up meetings for potential clients all the time at notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. If you go there and you click on the button that says request a meeting, include in the agenda that you'd like to talk about setting up a family fund. And we'll make sure that we talk about that when we speak for our 15-minute phone strategy session. Again, that's notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. Click on the button that says request a meeting and write in the agenda family fund so we'll know what to talk about. Okay, so the second step is to start and then fund your policies. This is fairly straightforward, but after you get permission from the insurance company, and yes, that's right, they give you permission. Not everybody can get one of these policies. But after you get the approval or permission from the insurance company, you can start and fund the policies. Again, this is after you've had some detailed discussions with a bank on yourself professional. Typically, typically there's cash value within the very first month and there's a death benefit on day one as well. The third step in creating and establishing your family fund is to use that family fund. I know it sounds crazy, but you know many people will set up their policy and then just forget about it. The best part about setting up these policies is that you can use them any way you want anytime you want on this side of heaven. Again, we talked about this in many other episodes, but you can use the policy for individual use for yourself, you know, uh, going on a vacation, buying a car, investing in real estate, investing in any other part of your business that you'd like. But I want you to think for a moment about how families could use this strategy for the benefit of the whole family. Now, there was a gentleman recently who set up 12 policies throughout his family on his wife, his adult children, even his grandchildren too. He himself was uninsurable. He could not get a policy due to some health issues, but he understood the power of the family fund. 
So he owns all 12 policies. He funds them regularly. But he's not just funding the policy. He's using them and teaching his family the skills and values that he wants to leave them someday. Values are things that don't just get handed off by accident. Values like thrift, prudent investing, strategically repaying policy loans rather than letting them languish for years and years. This man, this client, is creating a sustainable and renewable wealth strategy that duplicates and grows with each generation. How? How does it duplicate and grow with each generation? Because he's funding life insurance. It automatically creates a pool of wealth for the family to duplicate as generations progress. The grandparents buy policies on the parents. The parents buy policies on the kids. The kids become adults and buy policies on their kids. And so on and so on. You can kind of start to see how this becomes generational wealth. Now, if you're not a grandparent, you can also see how this might work as an adult. You can buy policies on your parents. And you can also buy policies on your kids. This still creates four generations of wealth transferring. How is it four generations, you ask? Well, your parent, the older generation, that's one. You are the adult here. You're the second generation. Your kids are the third generation. And since this is life insurance on your children, there's going to be a death benefit waiting for your grandchildren, which is our fourth generation there. So you can also buy policies on your in-laws, stepchildren, ex-spouses, and even business partners. Now, I've seen families set up a parent matching program. This is kind of cool, creative way to do this. A parent matching program. This concept is similar to how employees can be motivated to save in a 401k through an employer that matches a portion of the contributions. This is not some official program, parent matching or anything. It's just a personal family decision. For example, the older generation could fund the base required premium of a particular whole life policy, and the younger generation could fund the paid up additions rider, which is, of course, completely optional. In this way, both generations are contributing to the policy but it gives the younger generation a bit more flexibility as they're getting set up in their life financially. And then as the older generation starts to you know, phase out and the younger generation becomes more established in their career, maybe the kids pick up all of the funding uh, for that policy. So many grandparents will pay that base premium annually once they get their pension payments or things like that, or their required minimum distributions off of, off of their 401ks. So the grandparents might pay the base premium annually once a year, and then all of that would be considered a gift and not subject to gift taxation. Over time, the grandparents may stop gifting and allow the younger generation to fund both the base premium and the paid-up additions rider. If all that was way too deep, don't worry, come back to me. We're going to get into some other strategies, but just know that there's some really creative ways that parents and grandparents might help participate in funding a policy. Oftentimes, grandparents might have a lump sum set aside for each of the kids or grandkids, and they'd like to use that to fund a policy on each of their family members. There's usually a couple of ways to do this using life insurance. For example, let's say a grandparent has $50,000 that he wants to leave each of his grandchildren, but he did not want to wait years and years to spread that money into a policy for 7, 10 years, let's say. So what we could do in that case is move that 50000 bucks into a single premium immediate annuity, which pays a great interest rate these days with higher interest rates going on. And that annuity 
spins off a annual payout, which can then fund the life insurance policy, keeping everything tax-free inside the life insurance. So it's a great way to dump in a lump sum, give a grandkid something, and let that fund their policy for life. It's also possible to fund a life insurance policy with one lump sum, and we've talked about that elsewhere, so go back to listen to episode 91 if you want to hear more about that. Okay, so we've talked strategy. Let's go back up the ladder a little bit and talk about some stories here. The Vanderbilts and the Rothschilds, they both set up family funds, both historically wealthy families. Both of them set up family funds. One of them is wealthy today, whereas the other one is back to the grindstone and even their kids are in debt up to their eyeballs. So let's talk about Cornelius Vanderbilt. He became an unbelievably wealthy man. He was the richest man in the United States when he died in 1877. Upon his death, his heirs inherited the largest fortune ever accumulated, even more than the U.S. Treasury had on their balance sheet at the time. Wow. His children and grandchildren lived large, building huge mansions around the country, and several of them consumed their fortunes completely. When the Vanderbilts had their family reunion in 1972, 120 family members gathered, according to sources. There was not a single millionaire among them. Wow. The greatest fortune in American history had vanished in just 95 years. Compare that family to the Rothschild family. Mayor Rothschild was born in a Jewish ghetto in 1744. He grew up, however, and he learned the ins and outs of banking. And in 1763, Rothschild became a dealer in rare coins. As he built his wealth, Rothschild established five family banks in key European cities. He created aristocrat relationships with local governments. Although Rothschild passed away more than 200 years ago, the Rothschild dynasty remains one of the wealthiest families in the world. Nobody knows exactly how much wealth the family still has, although many estimate that the Rothschild family wealth to be in the multiple billions of dollars. Wow, what was the difference? One left assets only, the other family left assets and values. This cannot be overemphasized, guys. Rather than just being consumers of your inheritance, let your kids and grandkids consider themselves stewards and producers of family wealth. This distinction here is critical. In preparing your children for your death benefit, for your inheritance, help them to see themselves as part of the ever-unfolding story of how your family, your particular family, is impacting the world. This is going to instill a philosophy of generational prosperity. Rather than giving your kids a big license to just blow the money and use it to merely pay off their debts or go on a nice cruise, you know, really, when the heirs stop producing and contributing, I've noticed that the family wealth begins to disintegrate and family wealth evaporates. Eventually, reality sets in and the consuming, self-interested children have to go back to work. It's the old phrase, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. So how do we prepare the next generation for our eventual demise and death benefit and legacy that we'd like to leave them? Here are a few secrets. While no family is alike, we know that success leaves clues, as Tony Robbins likes to say. The first secret in preparing your children for your legacy is to put your money in assets that you can control and not in places where banks can control it or take from you. Family wealth should be utilized for family purposes, and no one else should get wealthy off your family's money. Perhaps you're just starting to save, and this idea of having a 
multiple billion dollar Rothschild style endowment seems like a million miles away. It's okay. This is where whole life insurance really shines. It creates a structure for saving now, as well as a long-term legacy with the stroke of a pen. You control the access to the cash value now, and you control how you leave the death benefit as well. The second secret is to train your heirs to understand their inheritance as lending rather than just getting a big pile of money. Mayor Rothschild did not just leave his children wealth. He gave them the opportunity to manage and create wealth. He did this through savvy financing practices, borrowing, and lending. When children are allowed to borrow and they're required to repay the family money for worthwhile projects, it really gives them the practice of using family money wisely before you pass away. Why should your kids be given the keys to a very expensive car if they've never practiced driving a car in the past? So you can do this as a practice during your lifetime. And you can be sure that after you pass away, the family wealth will be preserved. The next secret in training our next generation for our death benefit is to give our adult children and grandchildren the skills they need to remember. Your family will go far beyond the assets on a balance sheet. Money is just paper stuff. It can be spent, it can be lost, but a successful family nurtures and trains the members of that family to avoid silly and costly mistakes. You can do this. You can do this by teaching problem-solving skills, ingenuity, a prosperous, successful mindset, practice in business and marketing and sales, getting your family members connected to a network of successful influencers and mentors on their own. Train them in long-term thinking. Show them that in the small things of your own life, you're delaying gratification. You're engendering the entrepreneurial spirit that you have within yourself, within your children. Teach them your family values. Put them on your wall in your house so that everybody sees them regularly. In fact, I know of a family that laminated their family values and they use that as a placemat for their dinner so that every night the family is literally looking at the family values as they gather around the table. Great idea, creative idea. I know another family whose values begin with the letter of their last name. Smith, for example, might represent savings, maturity, ingenuity, talk it out, and hopefulness, for example. So what about your last name? Could that be an acronym for the values you'd like to share with your kids? Okay, so as we wrap up, I have a few takeaways. Number one, would it help to have a family mission statement created? I believe it would. Do you have a family mission statement that's actually written out? Where is it? What does your family do with it? It can be a meaningful part of your family's legacy and a great way to nurture a family culture that you can be proud of. You can also help when determining whether or not to use family funds for a business venture or other opportunities. When you have that family mission statement, it can be sort of a sieve or a filter to decide if we should invest in this real estate deal as a family, for example. Uh, start by asking every family member questions about what kind of family we want to be. What kind of home would you want to invite your friends to? Identify family's core values and decide on a few big ideas to be encapsulated in your family mission statement. Be sure to hang it wherever your family can see it and use it regularly. Bring it up in conversation. That's the first takeaway. Second, write a letter to your grandchild. Even if you don't have one yet, it's helpful to think about your impacts that you're having on the next generation. It can describe and help explain why whole life insurance is a key piece of the family fund 
and why we're not just handing out cash when you pass away like it's Christmas morning. Invite your grandchild into a kind of almost covenant relationship that you take seriously. Help them understand through the letter that you might write them that your love for them is far greater than your desire to just hand them a pile of money. And in fact, why a pile of money might be a dangerous gift to leave them. Point them and really your whole family back to your mission statement in this letter that you might write your grandkids. The regular retreats, the family council that they might be invited to. Teach them how the family fund can be used for the benefit of the entire family. The grandchild reading this letter will appreciate the money, definitely, but they will forever be changed by their invitation to participate in something greater than themselves. Third takeaway, create a list of guidelines for borrowing from the family fund. This is not just a grab bag that anybody can grab money from. We need to create a list of expectations so that the family members love each other more after the loan is paid back to the family than before it was taken. We don't want the family fund to ruin Thanksgiving dinner. Here are a few examples for what you might want to include in in the way of expectations. For example, you might create a simple application form that's required for family members to apply for loans. Every privilege in life comes with responsibilities. So maybe they're required to attend a family business meeting at least once or twice a year. Maybe they're required to read a few books like The Richest Man in Babylon or The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. Maybe listening to several of these podcasts or meeting with me before they can get the loan. Require, maybe, another requirement might be that they have to save at least 10% of their income before they can apply for the loan. This is a great one because it makes sure that the family loan will be repaid. This person's living within their means and it can ensure that that loan will be made whole again. And we will help keep both parties, the borrower and the lender, from building resentment if we have a strategy for repaying the loan after it's taken. Finally, make it clear that loans are not for lifestyle enhancements, such as luxury vehicles, but more for opportunities to fund long-term family wealth creation. And by the way, if you want to see an example letter or get a copy of one, I encourage you to hop on my calendar and we can have a conversation about exactly how we can custom design one of these letters for you and your family. We'll do a deep dive into your financial strategy as well and make sure that you've structured your family finance fund and that it's designed properly so that you can maintain control over your family's wealth rather than giving it away to banks and Wall Street. If you're tired of seeing families like the Vanderbilts and those like them losing wealth after just a generation or two, And if you're tired of seeing your own personal financial picture subject to the whims of parties like the IRS or financial advisors who want to build their family fund instead of yours, I can help. Reach out to me and my team by going to Not Your Average Financial Podcast, click on Request a Meeting, and in the agenda, write Family Fund, and I'll know what you want to talk about. Guys, this is too important to ignore. For those willing to think beyond their own little life, There are massive implications for benefiting your entire family and really, honestly, the whole world, like many of the wealthiest families in the world have done for over, you know, countless generations. You can be one of them. And preparing your kids or those who you call kids, if you don't have biological kids, for your inheritance is the secret for making the world a better place, better even than we found it. So thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast helping you think and live differently with your money, your inheritance, and your future. 
This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.